Hi, everyone. It's Jivana. I just want to come on for a moment and thank our sponsor, Offering Tree. They're an all-in-one, easy-to-use, community-backed business that saves you time, energy, and money as a yoga teacher. Offering Tree allows you to create a website in less than 30 minutes. Plus, you get a discount through Accessible Yoga. Just go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to get your discount today. Okay, here's our episode. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. This podcast explores the connections between the teachings of yoga for self and collective transformation. We dive into how spirituality and philosophy can ignite social change. I share conversations with folks who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements, thought leaders and change makers, disruptors and healers. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. The teachings of yoga and the sibling science Ayurveda explore the ways in which the body, the mind and the spirit are interconnected and a continuum, not separate from each other. In the modern world, many don't have access to the expansiveness of the teachings of both yoga and Ayurveda. This podcast aims to share the wisdom of the art and science of yoga in ways which also honor the teachers and the many roots, not as a lifestyle, but as a way of life. Much has been written and discussed about self-care, a concept that was popularized by the Black Panther Party and queer Black activists in the 50s and 60s. Self-care now is seen as self-indulgent, selfish, expensive, confusing, superficial. Today, we will parse some of these misconceptions about self-care. What is self-care? What does yoga teach us about self-care? Joining us in this conversation is Indu Arora, yoga and Ayurveda teacher, mentor, author, and someone who considers herself a student for a lifetime. I love that so much, Indu. She has been sharing about yoga philosophy, yoga therapy, and Ayurveda since 1999. She's inspired by and taught under Kriya Yoga, Himalayan Yoga, and Kashmir Shaivism lineages. One of my favorite yoga teachers, Indu Arora. Welcome to the podcast, Indu. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Anjali. And right at the beginning, I should say that I love the theme of this podcast, the love of yoga. What It just makes my heart so happy and I'm honored to be a part of this. Thank you for having me. Great. So let's dive straight into the conversation uh, topic, Indu. I know that you have taught yoga and Ayurveda both uh, in so many different ways. And I know that this topic is particularly close to your heart. And the ways in which you talk about this and discuss and explore this is just so very special. And I really wanted the listeners to have your experience and knowledge when it comes to self-care. 
But before we begin, I just want to share a little bit about your own story in your words, uh, because I also want to know more about you. Can you please share about the beginning of your journey into yoga and Ayurveda? <laughs> First, I would say that, you know, you introduced me by saying taught, I teach. I think I would say and that I simply share. Teaching is... Uh, I feel that it creates a certain kind of hierarchy where it feels as if I know more or I know better. I just want to say that I'm learning and I'm simply sharing along the way with the hope that it benefits many. And also that it leaves a scope for me to keep learning for error as a human being. Um, but coming back to the story, there are three stages or levels of this story, Anjali. One is growing up in a joint family in India. I was exposed to uh, this, you know, this passive learning that happens when you see, uh, at least in, in my gen form, joint family, I don't want to generalize it as if it happens in every Indian joint family. In my joint family, my father, I saw my father practicing asanas and pranayam every day. I used to, as a child of six years, I used to walk, wake up at four o'clock and go with my grandmother, pick some jasmine flowers along the way and go to this temple to offer this, these flowers, all in the greed of getting five pesa so that I can buy this orange candies, which I think most of my fellow Indian might connect to this fish-shaped orange candies or orange slice-shaped orange candies that you could buy with five pesa. So it was greed-based learning that bhakti, the devotion was rooted in greed at the age of six. And it was a complete amazement and wonder when I used to see my father upset Side down practicing shirshasan and as a, as a little girl i was i was just giggling and smiling and looking from the corner of the door that why is he seeing the world upside down when he could actually just see it uh you know walk be on the on his feet and my mother you know her day would begin by reading some texts and every evening there was family coming together for aarti and prayers so that was the introduction of yoga but it was all passive learning. I wouldn't say that I was really aware at that time that I want to study this, but it was an impression anyways. Um, as life progressed, um, it was at the age of 16 when there was some level of formal introduction to yoga. When I met my first teacher who initiated me in the practice of mudras, hand mudras. So that was the formal step at the age of 16, but really, I think I can say that I dedicated myself to the study of it from the age of 20 when I actually met my teacher. And it was, it is really a blessing that I got to stay with her. We can call it the Gurukula system where she was not a part of the ashram, but somehow the conspiracy of the time and the universe was such that uh, I was the first student she said yes to that come and stay with me. And uh, so I got to stay with her and learn from her um, by observing how she lived her life, not just how she taught the classes. And the beginning of the journey at present in my life uh, really is every day. Every day, it's a renewed sense of commitment to the path. Every day I wake up and it is the same sankalpa that may I be able to repay this debt of wisdom. That may I do justice with the teachings and the teachers that 
I have my life has crossed path with may it not go waste. So it's it's a beginning every day. It's mm. beautifully said. We begin every day, and our learning is always ongoing. And I really so appreciate that you shared it that way. Uh, that first and foremost, and always, we are students and practitioners, and um, and then the teaching is more like a sharing. And I always have very strong, strongly asserted that for myself. So I completely understand that. And do you think that's also a part of our culture that kind of um, appreciation for teachers, for teaching, for learning, that sort of respect that we give? Is that, do you think that's cultural? I think, I, I think I can say that there is a humbleness around learning and there is a certain humbleness and gratitude towards someone who may or may not formally be your teacher, but if someone teaches you something or someone said something uh, and it affects your life in a way that it's transformative, there is a certain gratitude around it. But with that also, I think it's very important to have discernment about who is the teacher, who are we learning from? Because it's such a, now, because I'm in Minneapolis, I would say it's such an icy road. <laughs> it's yes. such a slippery slope. Yes. Uh, we have to be careful. Yes. Whom we call our teachers. Yes, I completely agree. Um, and to go to our topic, you know, when we talk, to, talk about discernment and self-care, since that is our topic, what? How would you practice discernment when we are practicing self-care, one? And how would you define self-care? Those are really good questions, Anjali. Uh, discernment around self-care. That is so important because self-care can be easily misunderstood, especially I would say in the last few years, it has become a trend. It has become a hashtag it has become uh, the name of so many products mm -hmm. that it can be misunderstood as something which comes with a price. Mm -hmm. So therefore it can become inaccessible. Therefore it can become privileged. Therefore it can become as something which is only for few and not for everyone. My limited understanding of self-care comes in comes with the idea that self-care is the most tangible step that we can take as ahimsa, as non-violence. Because I feel that when we are not in touch with ourself, and here I'm not talking about uh, taking care of your skin or hairs, although I don't want to underestimate that either. It's important to take care of the body also. But here, this kind of self-care that I'm emphasizing and underlining is the kind of care that if we miss it, we are not kind. If we miss it, we cannot be compassionate. And if our vessels of mind and heart are not filled up, we cannot keep giving from empty, empty vessels. So it's this self-care is ahimsa, non-violence, because it is rooted in listening to the body. It is rooted in listening to, you know, there is this concept of interoception, you know, where you really are in touch with, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? And those are very visceral, everyday experiences and feelings. But I feel we have even lost touch with that. Because we eat when we are thirsty, misunderstanding that. And 
we eat things that just fills up the chatter of our mind instead of really bringing nourishment and satiation. So therefore it leads to, we misunderstand snacking as eating. And that is when we misunderstand self-care that, oh, I'm going to have, I'm just giving an example. Uh, I hope it's taken in the right spirit that, oh, I'm going to have pizza today because I don't want to uh, cook today because I'm tired. So this is self-care. No, eventually it is not self-care. Of course we can cheat and we sometimes cheat with what we want to eat and what we want to drink and what we want to do. But when we label that or mislabel that as self-care, that is when we do disservice to the term itself. Self-care is responsibility. It is a swadharma. It is an act of dharma. It is an act of care because when we pay attention to a very simple example that I'm watching something which is a series on some streaming platform and my eyes are droopy and my shoulders are droopy and I start yawning, but I don't choose to listen to it. I just let that, that it go for a few more seconds where the next episode begins. And I do not listen to my body. And then therefore I wake up groggy. I wake up not clear-minded. So it starts a cycle of staying out of touch with yourself. And when we are out of touch with ourselves, we become more reactive instead of responsive. And as we become reactive, that is when we lose discernment. So it all comes back. It may seem like so far-fetched connection, but in my mind, it's a very clear connection. When we stop paying attention to these small everyday signals that we get from our body, from our thoughts, from our emotions, and we just tend to push it away or not pay attention to it, that is when it all gets clouded. Mm. Or we put like quick band-aids on those signals, right? Like a quick immediately gratification of those signals that our body is sending. Are we really doing something, eating something, watching something just to, uh, to suppress an emotion, just having those sort of uh, introspective practices is really, really, I think, important. But it's also not very accessible to many. Uh, introspection itself is, I think, something that has to be practiced. It doesn't come very easily, especially in the modern world. How would we, for beginners, how would we begin to practice those sort of introspective practices so we know what to practice in terms of self-care? The emphasis of listening. Hmm. When we allow that pause to listen. I remember Anjali, I was um, 21. And at that time, back in India, um, I used to lead these yoga classes that started, that used to begin at 5.30 in the morning. And living it, it's common in India to live with your parents. I was living with my parents. My bedroom was completely converted into a yoga room. For six years, I was sitting sleeping on floor on just a thin yoga mat because I pushed everything out just for it to be a yoga room. But that's not the point. The point was my father used to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and there was this wooden platform uh, that was outside in, in the veranda under the stars or in the open sky. And he used to lay down in this reclining Buddha pose. And I was awake because I'm preparing the room, cleaning, brooming, wiping the room to prepare for the yoga classes. And I used to every day wonder what is he doing? 
and why he has to create this poetic body language and laying down in reclining Buddha. And one day I just could not hold myself back. And I went and sat by his side. Um, and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Papa, which is a word that I use for father. What are you doing here? Why don't you go inside and sleep? Why all this facade that, you know, this gesture? And, and I, I cannot forget how gently he opened up his eyes and he had this half smile on his face. And he said that, beta, which means child, I'm not sleeping. I'm reflecting. I'm doing this practice of manan, this contemplation, uh, assessing my life. And this is such an important time because there are no distractions. And he said this one thing that there is, if you, if you do this kind of chintan, which means contemplation, self-inquiry on an everyday basis, it, it increases the gap between chinta and chitta. Chinta means worry and chitta means corpse. That this kind of contemplation, if you, if you take it out of equation from your everyday life, it only leads to worrying. And worry make, brings you closer to this kind of physical, mental, emotional exhaustion, burnout, and therefore, you know, aging. It was a lesson that I think I took very, very, very seriously. And this is what I would suggest that those few moments when you wake up and before we go to bed, that is a time to practice. And if we don't know any practices, if we don't know any mantras, if we don't know any mudras, just listen to your breath because it speaks in its shakiness, in its voice, in its hiccups, it speaks. It is telling us something. It's pointing us either something towards visceral pain, physical pain, or mental pain, or emotional pain. Those breaks in the breath are for nothing. They are telling a story. Listen, listen carefully, because from there you can pick up where are the gaps, where are the hiccups. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Very, very helpful uh, recommendations on practicing the pause every day, including a moment of pause, especially in the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Uh, how do you practice self-care? What are some of your absolutely non-negotiable practices? This one that I shared with you, this is later on, I learned that it is a practice. It's a Vedic practice called Atma Tattva Avalokanam, where Atman means the soul or the self. Tattva means the substance of or the thatness, the soulness of the soul. And Avalokanam means looking into the mirror of. So it basically means looking into the mirror of your soul, basically. Check in instead of just check out. So this is an absolute non-negotiable for me. Uh, what are some of the other ways in which I practice self-care? What is very important for me is paying attention to sleep signals. Taking a nap in the daytime, if the time, if the day, if the situation allows. But in my mind, it's a priority. That prioritization has to be there before you try to carve out a space for it before you create and make that accessible for yourself, there has to be prioritization in the mind. So for me, that is an absolute priority. How are you doing with your sleep? Is there sleep hunger? Is there sleep deprivation? Is there sleep debt in your system? And if there is, we know it. There, it comes up as irritability. It comes up as this kind of dullness of the mind. It comes up as reactivity. So that is an absolute non-negotiable. The other non-negotiable for me, 
and I try to do it to the best of my capacity is observing the rhythms of nature, whether it is from full moon to new moon, whether it is the seasons, the seasonal shifts, the times of the day, just trying to see whether it is my yoga practice, how can it be better suited to the time of the day, whether it is a food that I'm going to eat to bring in the Ayurvedic wisdom and see that, is it a good combination for this time of the day? Is it a good food to eat at this time of the day? Or is it going to create some kind of a um, reaction or some kind of a resistance in my body for which the body has to then pull out more energy to digest it? So paying attention to the, whether it is, the diurnal care, the 24-hour cycle, sun and moon, or the 15-day cycle of the moon, or the seasonal care, this is my next thing which I really, really pay attention to. Um, and the third thing that I pay attention to is what do I do in the first one hour of waking up and in the last 30 minutes of going to bed? Those two and they, this the beauty of it is, Anjali, this is a part of our uh, texts and scriptures in Ayurveda, it, it begins with that. Uh, may, most of the Ayurvedic texts begins with preventative care, not with curative care, preventative care. And in preventative care, it, it lays out the importance of three kinds of care, the wake up care, the going to bed care, and the seasonal care, because these are transition timings. It is this transition timings where the body, the mind, the breath, everything, everything is at stake. Because when you go through a transition, if, if it is not smooth, that is when we create what is called vikruti, that is imbalance. Or that is the time when the vrittis, mental, emotional fluctuations come in. But if we can ease out these two timings, the starting of the day, the ending of the day, and the shifts in the uh, seasons, that really is very, very, very helpful. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for the listeners who want to know more about your work, uh, because you explore and delve really deeply into some of these concepts that you just mentioned in terms of sleep, in terms of nourishment, um, I we will share your the books that you've written on some of these subjects as well as some of the courses that you will be sharing. Um, so I will I will just say that for the listeners as well, and. I wanted to go back, Indu, to what you shared about self-care as Swadharma. Can you just explain a little bit more to the listeners about how self-care is Swadharma? And maybe for those folks who don't know what Swadharma is, how would you define that? The term dharma, you know, so many terms that are in Sanskrit, when they are, they are mirror translated, so much of the meaning is lost. Dharma is one that one of that word. It became almost uh, symbolic of profession. That, oh, are you, you know, I want to find my dharma. I am not living my dharma or I'm not doing this. I have to find what is my dharma code. The thing is, swadharma, swa means self. And an individual's dharma is, Every moment when you do a karma, an action, whether it is by thought, by speech, or through your body, when it serves not just the individual, 
but it serves whether it is family whether it is community whether it is society whether it is the world that is swadharma it is not rooted in selfishness it is not something that only when you teach yoga it will be dharmic only when you teach ayurveda it will be dharmic no dharma is in every is accessible to everyone as long as we are mindful of knowing that whatever we are saying doing and thinking has an impact and it that impact ripples out and affects everyone else so staying in that center staying centered with your breath and consciously putting efforts to have discernment consciously putting efforts to um keep emotional equilibrium continuously putting efforts to have a clear calm composed mind and all of that take effort none of that is easy all of it is tapasya all of it is hard work all of it will require your time but it will not go waste all of that work that you will put in towards the clarity of your mind towards the equilibrium of your emotions towards the smoothness of your breath it will pay off because it is going to affect not just you it's going to affect everyone and everything else that is swadharma and that swadharma is so important i think there should be there has to be there must be there should be so much clarity around the word dharma because when it is misinterpreted it gets zeroed in just something that you are doing in your life or one thing that you are doing in your life not everything but it is actually everything else that matters not just that one thing that you are doing wonderfully said uh, thank you so much for sharing that i i think there is so much there for uh, the listeners and for me to reflect on so appreciate that so much indu hi everyone I just want to pop in here really quick and remind you about our sponsor, Offering Tree. As yoga teachers, we are our own business managers, website designers, and producers. It's a lot, and Offering Tree offers an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to succeed while we're doing all the things. And I just like to say that through this partnership with the Love of Yoga podcast, Offering Tree has shown that it's committed to supporting accessibility and equity in the yoga world. Offering Tree is a public benefit corporation and they're driven by a mission of wellness accessibility which we share with them on accessible yoga. As an Offering Tree user, you'll get uh, to join a supportive educational community and you'll also get free webinars with top experts in wellness and entrepreneurship. And of course, you get a discount. So go to offeringtree.com/accessibleyoga to learn more and to get your discount. Okay, let's go back to the episode. what are some of the ways in which we can practice self care in our everyday pretty complicated busy lives and you often talk about how practices like mudra uh, mantra especially are very accessible they are not very uh, once you know how to practice them and you're learning from a good teacher who has the you know the wisdom to share these Uh, these kind of practices you you always talk about how accessible they are can you talk a little bit more about that what is a mudra let's let's start with that and how could that be a part of your self care yes these practices these are called subtle practices or sukshma kriyas in yoga whether it is mantra mudra pranayam 
even practices like meditation, relaxation, shavasana, all these are subtle practices. What has happened is that, and I will talk about the question, what is mudra, that yoga, when someone practices asanas, we say that I practiced yoga. If we, if we start saying it in a truthful way, that I practice asana yoga, or I practice asanas in yoga, or I practice asanas, I think it will not lead to this misunderstanding over a period of time by thinking that asanas is equal to yoga. Asanas is just a part of yoga. And because asanas have become so zoomed in as if they are the primary focus of yoga, yoga becomes inaccessible because not everyone can put their bodies into those shapes and forms. Because when we see those photographs or pictures or anywhere we see those, uh, those images which show someone practicing either an inversion or a balancing posture or something that requires some extreme level of flexibility or strength, we get this doubt that, oh, I cannot practice it. So now I cannot practice yoga. So I cannot practice yoga, which was one of the systems of self-care, original systems of self-care, yoga and Ayurveda, where the self, when I'm saying self-care, I don't want to say just related to body, self as in your breath, self as in your mind, and self also as in self with the capital S, getting in touch with yourself. So asanas, when we saw those, see those images, we have to also keep in mind that those yogis and yoginis were not living those everyday lives. Their diets, their lifestyles, their everyday lives were very different at that time than what we have now. Yep. So it becomes, there is a distance. Then it, it creates a distance between myself and yoga because now yoga is equal to asana and I cannot do this asana. So I cannot do yoga. So I cannot take care of myself. Mm it's so important to bring some level of awareness and truthfulness in saying things as it is. What did you actually practice that you call yoga? I think that needs, that there needs to be this further inquiry. What is it that you practice that you are calling yoga? And that will bring a really a clear communication, but coming back to mudra mantras, those are, I consider them as really, really accessible because you don't have to unfold your mat for doing practices. You can practice them sitting on chair, taking a walk. You can practice them. I remember my grandmother used to um, watch something when we had television and she's also doing her mantra japa. Yeah. You know, so those, these, those things were not in isolation. Those things were practiced as integrated, as a part of the life. I remember my father, after having lunch, he used to sit in Vajrasana. This thunderbolt pose. It was not practiced like set aside in mind that when I will practice is 30 minutes of one hour of yoga and I will unfold my mat, then I will do Vajrasana. No, it was a part of life. It was a part of everyday life. That I feel this is what mudras and mantras and pranayam, they bring this accessibility, they bring this flexibility because then you are in, first of all, creating a deeper connection with yourself and integrating the practices in your everyday life and not making it a one hour or 30 minute thing where you need a yoga mat. Then it again becomes unapproachable because then what kind of yoga mat do you need? Then you need space for yoga mat and maybe not everyone's house is set up where they can have a special room for yoga and a special mat for yoga. 
let me tell you this. I bought my first yoga mat in the first one month of being in the United States. I never had a yoga mat to start with. I just had a square piece of asan, this square piece of cloth, which is actually called asan, a meditation seat. That was my yoga space. You know, we, we create all these external things and the same external things which make sometimes things approachable, tangible, they also at the same time make them inaccessible. But for the practice of mudra, mudra, which is in simple words, these are gestures. And these are gestures of the body and they could be gestures of the hand, gestures of the eyes, gestures of the neck, of the feet. The most common ones are hand gestures. And these hand gestures are nonverbal ways of communication. And when you meet someone and you say them hello by waving your hand, that is a mudra. When you join both your hands together, if you do so for saying namaste, that verbal saying of namaste is not even needed. You simply joining the hands together, that itself is namaste. Or you simply nodding your head and closing your eyes and keeping your hand on the heart, that is also namaste. So there are, we forget that the purpose of these external gestures is to communicate a sentiment. These are, these are just external props that are also creating this kind of a fuller language to communicate clearly. But the beauty of mudras is there are so many hand mudras that can be practiced for everyday care. For example, if you have, uh, if you're experiencing flatulence, if you're experiencing bloating, you can simply fold your index finger at the root of the thumb and press it down with the thumb, keeping the other three fingers straight. And that reduces the vata, the air element in the body and helps in relieving that discomfort. That is everyday mudra. Or if you're feeling that your energy levels are tipping, you simply join the ring finger pad with the little finger and the little finger pad with the thumb pad, keeping the index and the middle finger stretched out in right hand or left hand or both hands. That is called prana mudra. That is to balance out or provide consistent energy levels. Or if you are having difficulty in falling asleep, even while laying down, you know, how infants sleep, they make a soft fist with the thumb extended between the index finger and the thumb. Infants sleep like this naturally. And this is actually called Surina Mudra. Su means good or pleasant and Rina means night. Good night Mudra. And this is inspired from the babies. So if you simply hold your hands like this, keeping them on the belly by the side, wherever it is comfortable in lying down position or reclined position, that is Mudra for self-care, for digestion, for sleep, for energy levels. Right there, mudra is, this wisdom is at your service to make your life easier, simpler, balanced, so that, so that we think clearly, so that we are contributing members of the society, not just so that I am healthy. That kind of self-care is self-absorbed care. And self-absorbed care is selfish care. That is not the kind of care I'm talking about which stops at yourself. What are you going to do with that health? That is important. You have to now put it into action. That, that, that is so important to understand. We think that, oh, I'm going to buy this and now I'm going to make juices or smoothies or I'm going to buy this supplement or I'm going to buy this yoga mat or I'm going to buy this skincare product or I'm going to eat vegan or vegetarian or paleo. It doesn't matter. 
why are we doing, why are we taking all these steps? We are going to such great lengths. And if we ask someone, why are you doing that? I want to be healthy. Okay. What do you want the health for? You don't think that. Why are you accumulating all these things? Do you have a plan? What do you are accumulating all this for? And if you don't have a plan, it is such a mindless chase because that kind of health is only possible in theory where you think everything is perfect. Absolutely. Wonderfully stated. And I am so appreciative of all the all the mudras that you shared. I'm really excited uh, about those practices as well. I think the listeners will be, uh, you know, hopefully learning more from you uh, because I know you have so much of such a wealth of information about these practices and the ways in which you share them. And um, as a dancer, my the way I approach mudras are so different. And maybe someday I'm going to invite you back again. And then we can see the overlap between how, you know, classical dance looked at mudra and how yoga uh, and Ayurveda looked at mudra. But I have a feeling that there's a common ancestor mudra in, in those, probably in the shastras. So, um, any before we leave uh, Indu, first of all, I am so appreciative of your generosity in sharing all these practices with me and the listeners. And I look forward to continue learning from you in so many different ways. And before you leave us, any la- any other thoughts on what we talked about or anything else you want to share, upcoming courses that you want to talk about? Do something every day. That is what counts. Don't vote, wait for a special day to arrive. Don't wait for a special time when you're going to unfold your mat. Find ways to integrate self-care, understanding its importance. Its importance lies in its impact. And it does not just impact you as an individual. When we are balanced, when we are in touch with ourselves, we are better for everyone else. If you are not doing it for yourself, do it for others. If you're not doing it for others, do it for yourself. Irrespective, find a way to do it. And how about just do one thing, something to take care of your body every day, whether it is consciously paying attention to what I'm eating and how am I feeling after that, just paying attention to even that relationship. That is care for your body. Do something to take care of your mind every day. Pay attention to the thoughts, to the emotions. Don't suppress them. Don't shove them. Don't repress them. Listen to them because one day all of this builds up. We don't have to wait for that day. Pay attention. And whenever you feel there is an unevenness in your thought, whenever you feel there is an unevenness in your emotion, something that feels this uncomfortable, something that feels too much, that's something that is overwhelming, bring your awareness to your breath and do nothing simply. You know how we iron things, iron things to, re- to release wrinkles, iron your breath, make it as if you're ironing it smooth. Three is to three or four is to four. That will help you release the wrinkles of those emotions. That will help you release those knots of those thoughts that are creating the distance between you and your clear mind. Just iron your breath every day for a minute, for two minutes, whenever you find yourself being disturbed, being unclear, give that to your mind and do something to your soul, even if it is just... uh, 
putting your hand on your heart and connecting to yourself and asking yourself, who am I? Just connect, do something for your body, for your mind, for your soul every day. It doesn't take time. And let's not make excuse to not have time. My teacher used to say the time for your practice is when after you go to bed and before you wake up. And this sounds like a mystery, right? But when we try to take out time from someone else's life, that is when it is an act of himsa. Once you wake up, if you are planning to wake up at eight o'clock, I know it's very late, or six o'clock, wake up at 5.45. That is the time for your practice. If you're planning to sleep at nine o'clock, that after nine to 9.30 or 9.15, that is your time for practice. Don't steal from someone else's time. Don't steal from the time that is required to pay back to the society, to the family, to for some other responsibilities. Carve out time from your own time. Just pay attention to this because this self-care is what adds up to everything else. And it is, it is wonderful conversing with you, Anjali, on this subject. And yes, there are so many programs coming up. I hope that if, if the listeners are inspired, they will go on the website, they will look into it. And um, there are three books that I've written so far. If you would like to study more about self-care or yoga or mudras, there are books on each of those subjects. But I just wish that this time that we have spent together, that this is beneficial to you. I don't wish for you to spend more money to get more thoughts. I hope it is thought provoking. I hope it is inspiring. I hope that it brings you back to thinking about this subject. That is the most important thing. Thank you so much. I'm sure it is. And uh, you have inspired me to start doing some of those things myself. So I so, so appreciate you for your generosity and time. Thank you so much, Hindu. Thank you for being here for this conversation. Please support our work at Accessible Yoga Association by becoming an ambassador or checking out our studio at accessibleyoga.org.